Good morning, church family. It is certainly a privilege to be asked to bring God's word to you this morning. And we'll be in John 16, verse 33. And before we go there, I want to first thank all of you who were praying for the youth retreat last weekend. It was such a joy to be up there with uh, a number of our young people here at Reverence Bible Church, and uh, it's always uh, the best. The best part of what we do at youth retreats is in the very end we have a time of sharing where we pass the mic around. Uh, it's the very end before we load the vans and and make our way home after a, a very long, exhausting but fun weekend. And uh, it, it's a time to to hear how God uh, was working in the hearts of, of our young people, and, and it was sweet. And, and this time we, we asked them, we said, you know, write, write two things, two things that you have learned through God's Word, through the teaching, uh, something that you would like to share, or you don't have to share, and, but we want them to write two things, and, and two, two ways that somebody encouraged you uh, during this time. So someone who, who maybe shared a word of encouragement, or, or was a wonderful example for you, and and so the kids, they, they wrote those things down, and, and it gave them just some, some sweetness to the time of sharing. And, and it was just, just to hear the way God is working in the hearts of our young people is something to be very thankful for. And if you're a parent here, and you have young people, and when your child got back from the retreat, if you ask them how the retreat went, they shouldn't have said, good, and what did you learn, stuff. There shouldn't be. There should be some very specific things that you can ask for. And so if you haven't gotten that yet, make sure you plunder the depths of their hearts and minds for what it is that they learned. And uh, I'm sure that you will be very encouraged as we were. And I think I see Liz Mishreki here. And Jerry and Liz are here for a little bit of time. It is so sweet to see you. We've been praying dearly for you, and we miss you, and uh, it's good to have you here. Thank you for being here. So we're in John 16, verse 33 this morning. And before we go to the Word, let's, uh, let's go to the God of the Word and ask Him for help. Father, we thank you for this time that is set apart to worship you as a body of Christ. We thank you for your word. And we know that your word is only effective in so much as your spirit opens our hearts and our minds to understand it and to receive it with our whole hearts. And so we ask that you would do that work that only you can do this morning. And that it would be for your glory and yours alone. In Christ's name, amen. So John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, 
you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This morning, we will be looking at Christ's overcoming victory in a world of trouble. And as we've just read, you can be sure that as believers, you will face tribulation in the world. But you can also be sure that you don't, that you don't face these tribulations alone. The Apostle Paul was certainly no stranger of trials and suffering for the sake of the gospel. He described the Christian life this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. He wrote, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. The world is a very difficult place for believers. The lifelong pursuit of Christ is riddled with hardships and tribulation. And for Paul, he was hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, not driven to despair, not forsaken, not destroyed, But so often the temptation and the tendency for us in our affliction is to feel crushed. To feel driven to despair. To feel forsaken and on the brink of destruction. And it's in times like these that we must remember Christ's victory for us. And this is where the disciples were at. In John chapter 16, verse 33. And Jesus speaks these words of comfort to them. Jesus is is going to the cross the next day. The disciples are confused. They're sad. They're scared. They don't know what is going to come, but they know it's going to be difficult. The tribulation leading up to the cross is so severe that in verse 32, right before our verse, Jesus says that his disciples will scatter and leave him alone. But here's the beauty of verse 33. That though the, though the disciples will leave Jesus' side, Jesus will never leave theirs. And it had nothing to do with their ability. It has nothing to do with their understanding. It has everything to do with Christ's victory over Satan sin, and death for their sake. And that victory is for you too. Brothers and sisters, this is the kind of anchoring we need to face trials in the Christian life. So we're going to look at this passage. um, Three main points that we're going to look at this morning. Number one, the believer's tribulation in the world. Number two, Christ's overcoming victory in the world. And number three, the gift of peace in the world. So let's look at number one, 
the believer's tribulation in the world. Jesus says, in the world, you will have tribulation. What is meant by the world? In this context, it's not merely a place where people dwell, like a general, you know, God's creation. That's not what we're speaking of here. We're talking about a place where sin and death reigns, where God is rejected and God's people are hated. One Bible dictionary uh, defines it this way. It's the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. The world consists of people who have subjected themselves to the rule of Satan, sin, and death rather than the rule of God. And we see this fleshed out clearly in Scripture. I'm going to give you five characteristics of the world that Scripture gives us. Number one, the world is led by Satan. There's a number of passages where Satan is referred to as the ruler of this world. In Ephesians 2, verse 2, he is called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And so the world and its people are ultimately led by Satan. Satan is at the core of the world. He's the influence behind the world. So the world is led by Satan. The world is characterized by sin. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen to this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is characterized by sin. Number three, the, the world is characterized by a love for darkness. John 3.19, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil characterized by a love for darkness. Number four, the world is characterized by a hatred of the gospel. Matthew 13, 22. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. The world is characterized by hatred of the gospel. And lastly, the world is characterized by a hatred of Christ and a hatred of Christians. John 15, verses 18 and 19, not long before our passage this morning, Jesus says, if the world hates you, he's speaking to his disciples, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why? Because of sin. The Holy Spirit in John 16, 8, when he, and when he has come, the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and therefore the world hates him. 
The world hates God and hates the people of God. The world takes no prisoners. The world shows no mercy. It is a battlefield filled with mines. It is filled with ferocious wolves and lions looking to devour you, led by Satan himself. And Jesus is saying, this is where I'm going. This is where we are. And this is where I'm going. As he goes to the cross and he says to his disciples, this is where you're going to. This is what you have to look forward to. This is the world you will be in. You will not be of the world, but this is the world you'll be in. And not only you, but everyone who will follow me after you, including every believer here this morning. That's the world. He says, in the world you will have tribulation. So when we understand what the world really is all about, we understand why it's filled with tribulation for believers. When you see that the world is led by Satan, driven by sin, driven by a love for darkness, driven by a hatred of the gospel, driven by a hatred of Christ and of Christians, it makes sense that in the world you will have tribulation. This tribulation is, it is a trouble that inflicts distress. It is a pressing together like grapes that are pressed together to make juice or to make wine. In fact, the only other place it appears in the Gospel of John is in chapter 16, verse 21, referring to the anguish of childbirth, the tribulation of childbirth. I've never given birth to a child, but I have a wife who has given birth to four beautiful children who has been committed to doing it naturally. I've, I've seen the pain of the childbirth, not experienced it, but I've seen it. And we're pregnant for number five. She continues um, to, <laughs> to, give, to give so freely of herself. <laughs> it is painful. That is how, that is the word that is used. Now, one could argue, therefore, we all experience the pain of childbirth, but I don't think I would get much sympathy if I, if I tried to uh, make that argument. But, but it's not just a bad day, right? This is an intense pain. This is an intense anguish. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. Will have. In the, in the NKJV, that translates will have. When you see those words will have, that can mean one of two things. Will have, that could be a future event. Or it can have the sense of certainty. And this, in this case, it's not stated in the future tense. It's actually stated in the present tense. And it's an indicative a statement of reality. Therefore, when, we, when he says, you will have tribulation, he's giving us a statement of certainty. You have it. You will have it. You can be sure of it. You can be sure that you will face tribulation, not only in the future, but today. 
And again, when we understand the world, we understand that this certainty of tribulation will be coming from this hostile world where the enemy comes to seek, to kill, and to destroy. And so that's what the disciples are facing. That's what's ahead for them. The disciples and those after them will be persecuted. They'll be torn limb from limb, stoned, run out of cities, hated by friends, hated by family, hated by the world. They will be faced with sin. They'll be faced with temptation. They'll be faced with the draw of the world. And for the disciples and for believers ever since, tribulation is not a possibility. It is not an option. It is a present reality. This is the road that all believers walk down. This is the road we walk in this world. The world hates Christ and the world hates you. And it takes no prisoners and it shows no mercy and it is led by the prince of this world, Satan, who is out to absolutely destroy you and to destroy the church. In the world, you are pressured to leave your faith. You are pressured to depart from the word of God, to depart from the rule and the reign of Christ over your life. You are pressured to shut your mouth when it comes to sharing the gospel. You are pressured to engage in sin, to justify your sin, to follow after your sin. And Satan is out to destroy you and to destroy the church. As believers, we walk in a battlefield that is filled with minds. And so you've got to ask yourself a question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it when you're going through these trials? Is it possible to overcome Is it possible to walk through the minefield without getting destroyed? I haven't painted a very pretty picture this morning. But that is a picture of reality for us as believers. And here we have one little three-letter word in the English language that changes everything. It's the word but. Jesus says, In the world you will have tribulation, But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Though you have trials and tribulations ahead, though you may be scared, exhausted, worn down, ready to give up the fight, you need to know that there is a victory. And there is good reason to be of good cheer, to be courageous, to take heart in the face of tribulations. And Jesus, in comforting the disciples, in comforting us with these simple but powerful words, says, I have overcome the world. That will be our second point this morning. Christ's overcoming victory in the world. I want to first talk about the emphasis of Christ's overcoming victory in the world. This phrase was put in a particular place and it was said in a particular way 
And it shows us that this is actually the heart of the message. There's an emphasis seen in the contextual flow. And we see that because there is a finality to what is being taught. There's a crescendo that all that Jesus has been teaching throughout the week lands here. These are the last words that Jesus gives before he departs from there with his disciples and goes on to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray for them and to pray for us. These are the last final lingering words. It's kind of like I've been, he's been teaching them for quite some time here. As we started back in chapters 12, 12 and 13, he's been teaching them so much. He's been teaching them about his death. He's been teaching them about his suffering and what they are about to face. But then he ends it with this. These are the lingering words. It's kind of like, I've been teaching you everything, but let me leave you with this. There's an emphasis here in the finality of what's being said. And there's also an emphasis in the grammatical structure that's given here. You guys have heard of the, the, the I am, right? Sayings of Christ. The I am. Um, there's a use of the pronoun I here uh, when we look at it in the original language. And when a pronoun is used, that brings an emphasis to what is being said. So if you're a Spanish speaker, you could say tango, and you would know that means I have, right? You don't have to say yo, you know tango because of the ending. You know it means I have. Well, it's the same thing in the Greek language. Um, you don't have to, to put I in front of it. But when you do, or when you see that it is there, that indicates that there is an emphasis being made on what is being said. And so Jesus is emphasizing here, I have overcome the world. I and no other. And so we see an emphasis in the way it's being stated. And also, we see an emphasis in the future reality that is being declared in the present. He says, I have overcome. And yet, he has not yet gone to the cross. So through, though Christ's victory is to be seen at the cross the next day, his victory is so sure, so absolute, that it is stated as an event that has already happened. And so, we look at these emphases. We, we see as these emphases come together, you see that this proclamation carries a particular force, a particular weight in the passage. It is the emphasis of this passage. It's the heart of it. It's the central focus of all that Jesus has been teaching. And that focus is on himself. That focus is on what he has done, on the victory he has obtained for us. And what this tells us is that there's no question where there and where your victory comes from amidst a world of trouble. It comes from Christ alone. Not in what you can do. Not in your ability to manage situations in your life. Christ alone has overcome. Christ 
alone is victorious over the world, victorious over Satan, victorious over whatever persecution might come, victorious over sin and death. And Jesus' victory is seen at the cross and at the empty tomb. On the cross, he overcame sin by bearing our sin, by bearing our guilt, by bearing the wrath that was meant for us. And by rising from the dead, he overcame death so that we who have died with him can know that we will live forever with him. We see this in Romans so clearly. Chapter 6, verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ overcame sin and death for us. That in him we might be dead to sin and alive to God. And he did that for us. He did that for you. Because he loves us. Because it is in his nature to be both just and to be merciful. He did that for us. He did not need to overcome the world for himself. He didn't need to do that for himself. He overcame the world because of our need. Because of his love for us. There has never been a day where Jesus needed victory over Satan for himself. Satan has always bowed to the sovereign purposes and plans of Christ. Christ did that. Christ overcame and was victorious for us. And at the fall, God promised that his seed, Jesus Christ, would crush the serpent's head. And that's what he did. And we, brothers and sisters, who are in Christ, we, we share in that victory. Brothers and sisters, if you are a believer in Christ, if you have trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and have submitted to his rule and reign over your life, you can know that you share in the victory of Christ. A couple of passages that bring this into such focus that are so encouraging to this point from 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength 
of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That is good news. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will be reviled, mocked, exhausted in your walk and in the gospel, tempted to turn from God and to run after your sin. Some of you may be in a place in life right now where you wonder if you can go any longer, where you wonder if it's worth the fight, where you wonder if your faith will stand. And it's in times like these that you must cling to the overcoming victory of Christ. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, take courage, take heart, for Jesus has overcome the world. Do you believe this today? Do you believe that? This is an anchor for my life. I need this. I need this every day. I rest and I must rest in the victory of Christ. And so must you. And therefore, no matter what the world brings your way, you can always, in every situation, in the pursuit of Christ, have the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. That'll be our final point this morning. Number three, the gift of peace in the world. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Since Christ's overcoming victory is at the heart of this passage, we now have a greater understanding of what Jesus means when he says, in me you may have peace. He he makes that statement then he qualifies it with what we just went through. You have peace. Why? Because in this world you have tribulation. How is it overcome? By Christ himself and his victory over it. So that's why we went through that first. And now we're going to look at the blessings of that victory. And one of those is peace. It says, in the world you will have tribulation. But in Christ you will have peace. Notice the contrast. In the world, you have tribulation. In Christ, you have peace. And therefore, we can be in the world, but not of the world. We can be in a world of trouble and yet have a peace that no one and that nothing can ever take away. What is Peace. What is this peace? Is it global peace? No. Is it relational peace, simply getting along with everyone? No, that's not the peace we're talking about. Emotional peace? No. No, it's a, it's a peace that goes 
well beyond the peace as we know it in this world. And Jesus said that in John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It is a peace that transcends understanding. It is a peace beyond this world's comprehension. There is a peace that this world tries to give. But that kind of peace comes and it goes. There's an end to it. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't address our greatest need. But the peace that's found in Christ is absolute It is sure. It is not based on your feelings or emotions. Because we have been given a peace with God. James 4 says, We came into the world at war with God. Not at peace with God. At war. We were enemies with God. Enemies of the cross. Haters of God. Ephesians 2 says that we were by nature children of wrath, dead in our trespasses. We didn't come into this world as God lovers. We came into this world as God haters, enemies of the cross, children of wrath, having no peace with the eternal God. But Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, that is being made right before God, being made acceptable to God, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the kind of peace that the world can never give. And that is the kind of peace that the world can never take away. We're not at war with God. We are at peace with God. You can take away my job. You can take away my house. You can take away my family, like what happened to Job. But you can't take away my peace with God. We have peace with God. But we also have peace from God. We have peace from knowing that Christ is on the throne. We have peace knowing that God is in control of all things. We have a peace knowing that he rewards those who diligently seek him. We have a peace knowing that you will be with Christ for all eternity from knowing that you will receive all that God has promised to you. We have a peace with God and we have a peace from God, knowing that his promises never fail. And from our passage, we see that this peace is found in Christ alone. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me, in Christ, you may have peace. Your peace is found in Christ alone. Alone. You don't find peace by overcoming the situations of your life, by managing the situations 
that are around you and the trials that you face. You find peace by clinging to the overcoming victory of Christ alone, which means you must be linked to Christ, joined with Christ, one with Christ. In John 15, he says, to abide in him. For apart from him, you can do nothing. And you have nothing. It is in Christ where you have peace with God and peace from God. And no one and nothing can ever take that peace away. You live in a world that hates Christ and hates Christians. And this world is a ferocious wolf ready to devour you, a battlefield filled with mines. But you have a Savior who has overcome the world, who has defeated sin and death and the power of Satan. And in that Savior and in his victory alone, you can have peace in any trial or tribulation you may face for the sake of Christ. And after Christ comforts his disciples with these words, as I shared earlier, he then turns to the garden of Gethsemane where he prays to the Father for them and he prays to the Father for us that the Father would keep all that he has given to the Son. That's good news. That we have a Savior who went before us to the cross, who interceded for us and lives to make intercession for us today. Are you feeling crushed, driven to despair, forsaken, on the brink of destruction? Run to the victory of Christ today. Cling to the victory of Christ today and share in the blessings and in the fruit of his overcoming victory now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we come to you humbly this morning as we see from your word that we are nothing. We can do nothing apart from you and apart from your victory on the cross. Lord, we as your children know that we face tribulation of so many kinds in this world. But we thank you for the hope and for the truth that you have overcome the world on our behalf. Help us to cling to you and to cling to these wonderful truths. We love you, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.